Titus. And we left off in verse 9 last time as we looked at the qualification of the leaders, the pastor, the starts off in the first three verses with apostle and then verse 4 and uh, 5 about the pastor and then the elder and then the bishop or the deacon. And, um, and then in Titus, he finished off there saying, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who, are con- who contradict. In the New Testament, we have the doctrines. I love the Old Testament because there's a word picture, and I believe that there's a word picture for every doctrine in the Bible. And the the word picture we have here to hold fast the Word of God is found in 1 Samuel chapter 23. Why don't you hold fast to the book of Titus and then look on over to 2 Samuel there in chapter 23. And there's a list of David's mighty men. And he starts off there giving the names of these mighty men. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9, he says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, a Horahite, one of the three mighty men with David. Actually, it's pronounced Dudu. That is, the, that is the short name for David. We were uh, on one of our tours, and the tour guide's name was Dudu um, the whole time. That was just, you know, it sounds funny to us, but, uh, you know, a lot of things we say sounds funny to them too. But uh, anyway, going on, a little culture there. He says in, there he goes on to say, now one of the three mighty men with David, when they defi- defeated uh, the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, or they defied, excuse me, the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, that he, Eleazar, it says he rose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. And I love this, next statement. And his hand stuck to the sword. And the Lord brought about a very great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to plunder. (laughs) So they all showed back up going, oh, you're still here? And uh, gee, all the Philistines are dead. What happened? Oh, wow, there's some good good stuff here. And they started taking the the money and and plundering the the Philistines. Now after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Herorite. And the Philistines had gathered together into the troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. How many of you guys like lentil beans? Wow, I'm surprised, about a quarter of you. So the people fled from the Philistines, and he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines, so the Lord brought about a great victory. Here we see these two guys that just have this incredible determination, this incredible purpose. And there they were commanded to fight the Philistines, and and there, although he just was in the midst of the battle and completely dehydrated himself. He stayed there and fought until a victory came. And when the battle was over, he couldn't get let go of the sword. His hand was fastened. They had to massage his uh, shoulder and his arm and, and you know try to get the blood flowing again, give him some water. And then they started trying to peel his fingers off the sword. 
And then we also see the next guy, Shema, who had the same heart. He just said, you know what? I may die here in this lentil bean patch, but uh, I was told, you know, to stay here and defend, and I'm not going to move. And everybody else ran away saying, retreat, retreat. And he's like, no way. They told me to stay here and defend the lentil bean patch, and that's what I'm going to do. Every one of these lentil beans are going to be present and accounted for at the end of this battle. And he stayed there and defended it. And there we also see a picture of, he says, be ready to be in the face. Convict those who contradict the truth. Look there in verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 23, there in verse 20, it says, Benaniah was a son of Joadiah, the son of a valiant man from Kebzil, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. I'll do that story. (laughs) And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, so he went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Joadiah, did, and won a name among the three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. So this is the spirit that Paul is telling Titus here. Hey, hold fast to the Word of God. Be faithful to holding fast to the Word of God. Stand in that little bean patch of sound doctrine and don't retreat. Don't move. If you have to, even if it's a snowy day and the lion's down in a pit, uh, march down in that pit, slipping and sliding all the way down. And down in the pit, take on the lion and uh, God will give you victory. Sometimes we seem like we're at a disadvantage, but it doesn't matter. If you have faith and have your trust in the Lord, even though the spectacular heretic in front of you, smarter and shrewder and more intellectual, God will give you the ability to wrestle the spear out of his hand and pierce him through with his own heresy. Stand fast. Don't back off. Be strong. He says there in verse 10, For there are many insubordinate. That's always the case. Many people who are not submissive. They don't understand what it means to submit one to another. They have idle talkers. They're just empty talkers. They they think they know a lot about something, but they really don't know anything about anything. And and they're just going to ramble on. And they are deceivers. It tells us in 2 Timothy, they're deceiving and themselves being deceived. And so we have to tell them plainly to uh, no longer allow this to go on in the church. The word deceiver refers of the mind. So they're trying to confuse the fact. They're trying to twist the scriptures. And uh, then it also mentions, especially those of the circumcision. Remember in Acts chapter 2 when the day of Pentecost came and they began to speak in tongues and people from all tongues 
and nationalities showed up. They were all Jews, but from different countries. One of those places was indeed that island of Crete. And they became believers. And no doubt they went and they preached the gospel as they knew it. But understand this. They never thought they were going to give up Judaism. I mean, not even the apostle Peter got it. He struggled with it. Remember when the Lord said, go now and preach the gospel in Caesarea, and he walks into Cornelius' house, he's going, I have no idea what I'm here. We Jews aren't supposed to be in the house of uh, Gentiles. He didn't get it. And later on, I mean some years later, when Peter's hanging out in Antioch, when men came up from James from Jerusalem, all of a sudden he'd get kosher. And he would not hang out with the Gentiles and not eat with the Gentiles. He would be with the Jews. But then as soon as the Jews left, boom, right back to the pork chops he went, you know. And uh, it stumbled the church in Galatia. And finally, Paul had to say to Peter, you're being a hypocrite. And you're trying to put on these Gentiles, which we Jews could never live up to, the law. But these guys, even though they had been rebuked, and it sounds like even by Paul, that they, unlike Peter, didn't repent and didn't turn, but they were hanging in there with their heretical teachings, and they were being aggressive with it. And it tells us there, um, whose mouths must be stopped. Literally, the mule needs to be muzzled. You need to muzzle that dumb donkey. Don't let him talk anymore. Why? Because he's doing more than just deceiving. He's subverting or turning whole households, teaching things which ought not. In other words, uh, as we studied out, you've got to be circumcised. Remember the book of Galatians? You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the law of Moses. And, and the real reason they were trying to do that was for the sake of dishonest gain. Well, you need to be circumcised, and that will be $350. I, I have on many occasions been asked by people, well, how much do you charge for infant dedications? Of course, they often say infant baptisms. And I'll say, well, why do you ask? Because the Catholic Church over here, they told me 500 bucks. And uh, I, we just can't afford that right now. And, and man, we need to get our baby baptized. I said, well, actually, you don't. You just need to get them dedicated. And I can give you a special deal for $299.95. <laughs> Without the water. Of course, if you want the full water thing, yeah. You know. <laughs> but the real reason they were doing it had nothing to even do with their doctrine. It was just a way to try to rip these people off. And, and uh, it was turning people who were walking with the Lord and doing well in the Lord turning them to look to the law and try to uh, get hung up in the legalism, which would definitely take them away from grace, as Paul says in Galatians 5. And there in verse 12 he says, one of them, a prophet of their own. Most likely that would be Epimenides, who was more of a, prophet, was more of a poet, uh, but a lot of people saw his poetry as prophecy as a prophetic word, although it's rather bizarre poetry that don't really understand what it's saying. But even he said, as he traveled, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. 
So even one of their own, who they acclaim as famous, and, and again, you, where, where Crete was, it was right on the, the path through the ocean from Rome and from Greece. And so when the Greeks came through, they polluted it as a Greek society. When the Romans came through, they polluted it with their Roman society. And typically where the sailors show up is typically not the most godly atmosphere. And so they did indeed end up uh, sort of paralyzing this culture of that island of Crete, uh, just like it says. They, they had sort of become a, a, a dishonest place. It had become a place where they were liars, and they were just wicked, wicked people, and they were like a bunch of animals, probably the little kids ripping you off, and, and, uh, and then they didn't have a good work ethic. They were, they were just lazy. They wouldn't work hard. And uh, there's many cultures like that today throughout the world. They would rather try to pickpocket somebody than get a job. And uh, he says, you know, this is, this is a known thing. And so it sort of infers here that the way they were deceiving these people is saying the reason you're lazy and the reason your culture is a bunch of liars and dishonest people is because you're not keeping the law of Moses. Because you haven't yet been circumcised. We all struggle with sin. The Bible says there's no sin that's not... Uh, every one of us have the same exact struggle in one way or another. But this is always the way the cults come in. And Satan seems to know when to send them at weakened moments. But they'll tell you, you know, the reason you're struggling right now, the reason you have those thoughts, the reason you're tempted in that way is because you haven't come to our church and been baptized in our church. It's because you haven't been studying the Watchtower magazine. It's because you, you know, we the Mormons, you know, the way we live is, you know, we really focus on family and, and so forth. And so they use that as a hook to get people in that basically they assure them if you will join our system, we will take you through the steps. You can turn your brain off. We'll take it from here. And that's really sort of a, a wicked desire of every man. You want to take over the responsibility of my life? Great. <laughs> I, I would gladly let you take over the responsibility of my life because it's a heavy thing. It is. Uh, Galatians 6, it says it's a weight we must all carry. It is a big giant backpack we have to carry to be responsible, to get up and keep the house clean and pay our bills on time and uh, be disciplined in our life. It's a difficulty that we all struggle with. And, and to say, hey, man, all I have to do is make sure that, you know, as I'm dying, the priest is there to give me my last rites. I, I'm, I'm good to go. All I have to do is just do whatever the Jehovah Witnesses say and, and just join their system and it's, I don't, I'm no longer responsible. They're the responsible ones now to make sure that I'm okay. And this is evidently what they were doing. And, and he's saying it's, it's common knowledge that these people were this way. And even somebody from there that was a celebrity of that island, uh, referring to Epimenides, he, he freely says, um, they're a bunch of liars. They're evil beasts. They're lazy gluttons. And... Uh, they don't look down on him for saying that. They just sort of embrace it. Yep, that's who we are. Often people can get that mindset where they say, yep, that's just the way we are here in California. Well, that's just the way we are in Oklahoma. 
That's just the way we are because I'm Italian. You know, we just scream at each other. That's it's in my bones, you know. That's the way I am as a European. We're just not emotional people. We don't like to hug and tell people we love each other. We're just reserved people. That's just the, our culture the way it is. Well, you know what? I, I don't disagree that that's the way the culture is. But you know what? We need to adopt a new culture, that of Christianity. And the Bible says we need to love one another. So even though that's not your culture to do that, you need to stop following the culture and stop start following the Scriptures. Well, it may be that it's your culture to scream at one another, but the Bible tells us that we're to be gentle and loving and kind. And you know what? You need to turn from being the Italian way and start being the Christian way. But they were basically saying, hey, this is just the kind of Christians we're going to be. We're going to be Cretan Christians. And, uh, you know, we're going to, you'll know us in heaven because we'll be the laziest people up there, you know. Or whatever they were saying, they were, they were getting this attitude and they were even talking this way in the church as if, you know, this is as high as we can go. This is the acceptable norm and that's the way we're going to be at church and that's the way we're going to be as Christians too. And, and Paul says there in verse 13, this testimony is true. Now, we don't know if he's saying true, that's really the way they are. If it's true, that's what Epimenides uh, says. But either way, therefore rebuke them sharply. Those that are, are being prideful about that are those who are saying that about them, that they may be sound in the faith. Stop it. Stop that kind of negative talk. Stop that kind of lumping everybody into one basket. You know, we have to have room to grow. And often it can be a very negative thing with family. Because although you're 50 years old now and you know, you've started your own business and you, you've lived a life, you've raised four kids or whatever, when you go home, you know, mom still looks at you as a little kid. You, she just changed the diapers and treats you like that way. Your brother looks at the guy who was the, you know, dorky, nerdy kid back in junior high and, and it, that's still the way he looks at you. And they often don't give room for people to grow. And he's saying, don't allow that characterization to go on. And don't, don't let that kind of discussion go on in the church. And don't you use that generalization in the culture in which you're preaching. Have you noticed that people don't change from the negative? You can be so exactly right pointing out, here are the negative traits. You're exactly right. Are they going to grow from that? No, they're not. They're not going to grow until they see how they need to be. So sometimes it's, it's helpful to point out, this is the way you are. But then you have to clearly cross that bridge to say, this is how you need to be. Here's a picture of how it would look, the way you should talk, the way you should live, the way you should conduct your life. And so stop this kind of discussion and rebuke them sharply, he says. Boy, that's a heavy word, but he's saying, get out your sword and stab them. In Proverbs 27.6, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
There's times when you need to wound your friend for being ungodly or being saying things he shouldn't be saying. In Proverbs 27, 17, a few verses later, it says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So sometimes we have to cause one another to bleed, to get that pus out, so that swelling can go down, so that healing can start. And sometimes we there's things that are dull in their life, and it's, you know what, it's time that you sharpen that area up. Maybe it's with your words, or maybe with some attitudes, or maybe the discipline or the lack of discipline of your life. And iron sharpens iron. You know what happens when you put iron and iron together, right? Sparks fly. Things heat up. You start smelling it, man. Smoke. But yet, as you put that pressure upon them, as the things begin to heat up, as sparks begin to fly, you hold that pressure long enough, and that dull edge, which is useless, will become a sharp edge that can be profitable. And he says to rebuke them sharply. Why? Because we're not supposed to talk that way as Christians. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 with me, if you would. The book of Ephesians. There in chapter 5. He says there, starting in verse 3, Ephesians 5, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting for the saints. Neither, now here's verse 4, and he's lopping that into, and I wanted to show you the, the equal sign, if you would. He's looking at fornication and covetousness and uncleanness. That shouldn't even be named among you in an equal way. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who's an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be talking foolishness. Don't be listening to foolishness. Don't in any way, shape, or form be partakers with them of the foolish talking, the coarse jesting. It's not fitting. But rather, the giving of thanks. In Ephesians 4, it says, whatever you speak, let it bring edification to people. And that doesn't mean that we can't be funny. That doesn't mean we can't joke around and have a good time. But there's that place where it crosses from being humorous to now it's going into coarse jesting. It's going into uncleanness. Look at Philippians chapter 4, if you would. Right there after Galatians, Ephesians, then Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And notice in verse 9 what will happen. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So as we allow the things that are lovely, noble, a good report, as we allow these things to be heard in our ears, as we allow those things to be upon our minds, then we're going to have a peace in our relationship with God. So if people are joking about, oh, you know how they are, they're a bunch of liars. Ah, you know how those guys are, they're all a bunch of lazy beasts. Ha, 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 ha. Stop it. Rebuke them sharply. Say, guys, that is not what Jesus would do. That is not fruitful. That is not godly. That is not right. In short, it's not fitting for us who are saints, who are the holy ones of God. Let's end it and let's end it now. And going back in the book of Titus, he says also, not giving heed to Jewish fables. Don't give these guys a platform. So if you hear them talking about the various Jewish fables or the commandments of men who turn from the truth. In other words, they're, they're making up these teachings, uh, you know, extra information about Moses or Abraham or um, the different fables about uh, the men of God that bring them down and, and really aren't the truth. Have you noticed how they've sort of rewritten American history? George Washington is this, in our first president, this great self-sacrificing hero. He was a guy who was having sex with all the slave women. When it said George Washington slept here, you know what it really meant, ha, ha, ha. From just a slanderous fable, absolutely no historical documentation to prove that at all. Zero. Yet in 1920, it went into the history books. Until now. When they teach history, they don't have an appreciation for our men who sacrificed their lives and who really were great men, godly men. They t try to knock them down a peg and trying to make up what they were really like. So, so we don't have to be honorable people. We're just like George Washington. Gee, you know, um, President Clinton and what happened in the White House? Ah, that happened back when George Washington's day. That's the way all the presidents are. And they're trying to bring them down to make themselves look better. And he says, don't allow these teachings to go on. Flip, if you would, through a few passages on this very same issue in 1 Timothy. Turn to the left just a couple of pages. To 1 Timothy chapter 1. He had warned Timothy on the very same thing there in Ephesus. He says, I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. So it may be intriguing, it may be interesting, but don't give it time, don't give it credence. I used to have a guy in the church who used to read all these books on the messages in the stars, you know. And it was very interesting, very intriguing. But then it went to the point that he always had a little group afterwards, wanted to hear the latest of what he learned in the messages in the stars, you know. And it got to the point saying, this is fruitless. This is not edifying. I don't want you talking about it anymore. And uh, then also, we see there in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, 
If you instruct the brethren in these things, you are a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words and of good doctrine which have, or you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself towards godliness. Don't have the junk food of the fables, but eat the meat and potatoes. The well, Most of you guys are on Atkins diet, so sorry about that. Don't eat the potatoes. Eat the meat and a little bit of vegetables, but by all means, don't eat any fruit. That would be horrible. Um, but, you know, eat the good stuff that exercise yourself towards godliness. And then 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, there in verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Inquiring minds want to know, but you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So hang in there, fight the good fight, help people that will listen to get sound doctrine, but there's going to be a day that the people that are willing to hear a solid Bible study will indeed be few. Look at Colossians chapter 2, if you would. And we'll see fables on another side. Um, not just the Jewish fables, but then you have the pagan fables. And he says there in verse 16, So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regards of festivals or new moons or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance of Christ. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, worship of angels, intruding to those things which has not been seen, vainly puffed up in his own fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows and increased, that is from God. And verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments of the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So here he says, don't listen to these fables, and with these fables come all these regulations. Um, my, one day I was down at the bowling alley and, and uh, uh, my wife wasn't there to bowl with us and one gal said, where's your wife? And I said, she took my son to get some warts off his fingers. And she says, oh, I wish I had known that because she didn't need to go to the doctor. What you do is you get a piece of cloth and tie it in the knot and you do that for each of the warts and you bury them in the ground. And the time they have uh, decomposed, the warts will be gone. I had a lot of sinister things to say. Of course they'll be gone because it'll be about 200 years. Not only will the warts be gone, but their whole body will have decomposed by then. But she's a gal who goes to the 
United Methodist Church here considered herself, uh, you know, one of the charter members and all of it. And she really believed it. And she has other old wise fables, you know. And uh, the other day she asked, have you tried it? I said, no, that's stupid. I wouldn't try that. <laughs> so I, I finally gave her a little piece of my mind. I didn't have a whole lot to share. So got to hang on to all those pieces. But it's stupid. I'm not going to do some old wives' tale, but I'll tell you, there's a whole lot of them out there, and uh, you know, I won't go into them um, because they're not worth the time. And the Bible says, don't do it. So I won't do it anymore, okay? But then there's also the commandments of men. Look at Mark chapter 7, if you would. Mark chapter 7, starting there in verse 5, they were getting on to Jesus' disciples for not doing the ceremonial washing that the Pharisees had made up. It's not in the Bible. And they asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? In other words, you guys are rebels. You're being rebellious. You're not being reverent. He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me. Why? teaching as doctrines, as if it were God Himself who said it, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other things such they do. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But they had all of these fables, all these commandments of men. And these guys are given opportunity to talk about it, maybe in a home Bible study setting instead of rebuking them sharply, saying, we're not going to go there. They allow these guys to talk and to share as if they have something to share. And it's causing people to be deterred from the sound doctrine and growing in the Lord. And so he says, don't let this go on. And in verse 15, he does mention, to the pure, all things are pure. To those who are in fellowship with the Lord, to those who are in a love relationship with Him, they can distinguish what is true and what's not true. And they hear the old wise fables, and it doesn't move them. But those who are defiled are unbelieving. Nothing is pure. In other words, there's, they're, they're not going to be able to distinguish. They're not going to be able to discern. They're not going to have the ability to say, that's an old wives' table, old wives table. That's an old wise fable, and that's true doctrine. You're laughing with me, not because of my feebleness, right? It's not fun to make, it's not right to make fun of the disabled, so be careful there. <laughs> And even their mind and their conscience are defiled. So even though they may not believe it, it's tripping them up. It's, it's messing them up. It's causing them to have to think about that and talk about that and deal with that rather than get on with their walk in the Lord into sound doctrine. In Romans 16:19, it says, I want you to be wise in what is good and simple or foolish, ignorant, like a little uh, innocent child concerning evil. I love that fact. That we would be ignorant of the worldly things that are going on. So if somebody said, did you hear about the latest scandal with, and then they give the list of the latest super rock stars that are on the radio, you're going, who are you talking about? I, I don't even know who you're talking about. Why would I want to know, you know who their third wife or fourth husband is? I, you know, or that now they're a lesbian or whatever. I don't even know who they are. It's not, it's not interesting to me. That's the way we should be. 
towards the things of the world. I'll tell you what, on numbers of occasions in marriage counseling, I've had gals that are really messed up because they are watching soap operas. And they're watching these people be deceptive and deceitful on a regular basis, and they start getting that in their heads. So, you know, as the world turns, you know, she'll watch as the husband calls up, oh, I'm having to work late tonight, honey, as he goes off and sees the girl and, you know, has an affair. And and so then an hour later, the husband calls and says, hey, I've got to work late tonight, honey. No, get home! I don't care what you know. I know what you're up to. You're meeting Veronica down at the... We can't think that things aren't going to affect us. They are going to affect us. And so we don't want to know the worldly ways of the world. We want to be ignorant concerning all of their stupidity and foolishness so we can just have a pure doctrine and a pure walk with the Lord. And then in verse 16, they profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. So these guys that are into fables, these guys that are Judaizers into deceiving people with all the Jewish fables and commandments, they're definitely not the kind of guys you want for leaders, even though they have a following, even though when you tell them they can't be leaders, they and 23 people are going to leave with them, let them leave. You can't be a politician. You can't be diplomatic. You've got to stay the course with sound Christian doctrine. And, uh, you know, just like when they came to make Jesus king there in John 6, Jesus said, hey, you guys are laboring for the things that perish. You guys are being fleshly, Jesus basically said. And they were offended. Well, let me tell you. And then they, they get back in Jesus' face. And he basically says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they were grossed out and they left. And only the apostles were left. And, and Jesus said, what are you guys doing here? And they go, man, you're freaking us out. But, you know, who else has words of eternal life? And then he said, hey, the words I speak are spirit and life, you know. Jesus wasn't afraid to... to rile up the multitude to the point that they all left. It didn't bother him. I love Gail Irwin, you know, Jesus' growth seminar. You teach the gospel, you heal the sick, you cast out demons, and then you gross them all out and cause the church to be empty. That's Jesus' growth seminar. That's how you do it. And so there are those people that what they profess with their mouth and the way they are living are two different things. And they are not people that are going to be qualified for any work in the church. Definitely not the work of a leader. Now, some people at this point, they say, you know, it seems somewhere we're not to be so judgmental. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not? Then, then why is Paul judging these guys? Why is Paul saying they're abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work, when we're not supposed to judge. 
No, actually, you're getting things a little confused on that point. We are indeed supposed to judge. Look, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 7. The book of Matthew chapter 7. Notice the context of everything that he says here. Starting in verse 1 of Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged. Right there, see? Well, that, that word there is the word carino in the Greek. And it literally means to condemn. Don't, don't be a condemner saying there's no hope for you no matter what. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So Paul in this instance is saying, okay, if I start talking about fables and old wives' tales, if I start teaching the law as a way to be righteous, then judge me. I'm ready for you to judge me on that. Or if you're going to judge what I teach, great. I want to be judged on that. So Paul would say, judge me then. If indeed that is the way, I want you to judge me that way. And thus I'm going to judge that way. But then notice what he says the very next thing. Here he says, be ready though to, to be judged yourself. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not consider the plank in your own eye? So when you judge that person about the speck in his own eye, well, other people are going to notice the plank in your eye. The way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look at the plank that's in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank that's from your own eye, then you'll be clearly able to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he says here, what are you supposed to do when you see something that's not right? Are you just to ignore it? Now, if I had a little chunk of sawdust in my eye, and you see this little square thing in my eye, and you're talking to me sort of distracted, and I'm sort of, you know, a little bit blinking and rubbing my eye, and, it, and you just walk away, and then somebody else comes up and says, Brian, you got a piece of sawdust. Man, it's really big. Let me get that out. You walked away. Let that thing be in my eye. I'm going to wonder. Gee, I mean, you are so concerned about our friendship, you're unwilling to say, let me help you get that thing out of your eye. I, I wouldn't appreciate that. The fact that you ignored that, it wasn't a blessing to me at all because you didn't want me to be uh, embarrassed about it. But what do you do? You say, first, let me get all the stuff out of my eyes. Man, you know, that sawdust is all in my eyes, not just a couple specks. I got tons of that stuff in my eyes. Let me go over and wash, get the stuff out of my eyes. Oh, wow, man. Get a little visine in there. Whew, okay. Let me see. Did you get yours out? Nope, it's still there. Now let me help you get yours. The Bible says not to not deal with it. So if not judging, or as the world says today, we're to be tolerant. And they get all upset about us not being tolerant. You say, you're not being very tolerant about the fact that I'm not very tolerant. <laughs> I wish there was a world that I could be intolerant and everybody would be tolerant about it. The reality is, is, is you think about it logically, we can't tolerate things. Logically, you can't have a society that's completely intolerant. It doesn't exist. It can't exist. It's logically impossible. It's only a matter of what you are, are going to tolerate. 
And so there are those people that have a speck in their eye. And they are thankful, saying, man, thanks for piercing me sharply. Thank you for giving me that wound. Thank you for ironing, sharpening iron. And when they, you walk away, the speck is gone. They're thankful that you have been that way to them. But then notice the very next verse there in Matthew chapter 7. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and run and tear you to pieces. The very next thing he says is discern who's a dog and who's a pig. And, and don't try to get the speck out of their eye because they'll hate you for it. The Bible makes it clear. If you rebuke a fool in the book of Proverbs, it says you'll get a scar for yourself. If you say, hey, that isn't right, you're the one that's going to be injured. The speck's going to stay in their eye, but all you're going to do is have a scar for trying to help that dog, that pig. So you have to have discernment. Then look on in chapter 7 at verse 15. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he again tells us to make that judgment, that place of discernment. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They will know them, you'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you'll know them. So here the Lord says, be a fruit inspector. Don't just look at things at, at surface value. Dig into that fur. See what's under it. Are they just acting superficial because they know that if I really listen to the other conversations they're having with other people about whatever it is, not sound doctrine, they know I'm going to get on to them about it? And so we as the leaders of the church and as people in the church, we need to judge. Not, not to say there's no hope for you no matter what you ever do, even if you repented a thousand times, there's no hope. That's condemning. We're not to do that. But we are to discern. We are to judge. And we're to say, what is this person really made of? What is really in their life? What is really going on? And to discern it. And indeed, you'll know them as you look at the fruit, as you bite into it, as you pull it off the tree and cut it open to see what's really in it. And also look at Matthew chapter 12. Starting there in verse 33. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. Boy, Jesus sort of judged pretty heavily there, didn't he? How can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. An evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account in the day of judgment. For by the words you may be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So he comes back and he says, a good tree can't be a bad tree, and a bad tree can't be a good tree. When you really hear what's going on deep in their hearts, you listen and you'll hear that cry, I want to be right with God, I want to obey God, I want to live for God. Or you're going to see what really comes out. 
which is rebellion or unsound doctrine or what they really think about it. So Paul says that these guys that are insubordinate, who are not submissive, these idle talkers, these deceivers, you need to shut their mouths up because they're messing up Christians. They're stumbling believers. They're distracting believers from growing in the Lord. And you in the church, Titus, don't be a part of it. If you hear them generalizing about Cretans are a bunch of, you know what? They're not. They're born-again believers. All the old things have passed away. All things have become new. They're new creatures in Christ. And that laziness and those lying ways are going to go as they grow in the Lord. So people generalizing about the Christians, saying you're a Cretan Christian, that means you're a lying Christian, stop that kind of talk. Don't listen to uh, the Jay Leno jokes on it. And uh, don't go to the stand-up comics and listen to them and their corrupt ways. And those people that are in the church who think they have some great deep insight in these Jewish fables and these things that are not for sound doctrine, stop them. Because they're hindering the growth of people and even keeping some from being followers of Christ. I understand what they say. But, but, but you know, Paul, they're such nice people. But Paul, they're such great guys. You know, just the other day I went golfing with one of them. We had just a fun time. And boy, you know, he does have some pretty weird ideas, but he's really a nice guy. You know what? I understand they profess to know God. But in the works, they're denying him. How are they denying the Lord? Because they're not saved by grace through faith alone. You've got to keep the law of Moses. And these things are abominable. Titus couldn't see it. Sometimes we can't see it. Sometimes we are so connected to the person and so uh, deeply in love with that person that we can't see that their ways indeed are abominable. It's not a matter of, well, yeah, it'd be better if they didn't do it. No, in the sight of God, it's wicked. And that it says there in Romans 12 that we would see things the way God sees things, that we would hate that which God hates to the degree he hates it. We love the things that God loves to the degree that he loves it. You can't see it, Titus, but it's an abominable. And out and out, it's disobedience to what the Lord has commanded us. And these guys are disqualified. Let me tell you plainly, they are disqualified not just to be elders or deacons, but for any work in the church. Until they repent and deny and get away from those things, they're never going to be accepted. And then one more verse, chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, Pastor Titus, Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak the things that are for sound doctrine. Turn, if you would, over to 1 Timothy 4.16. When I said last verse, I meant the last verse in Titus. Sorry about that. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. Here he tells this young pastor, Timothy, just like Titus, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Watch the way you're living. Watch the doctrine that you're living out and hang on to that sound doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. By having a sound doctrine, you're not saving as getting them born again. The word save can mean many different things. Uh, in this case, it means save from harm, save from difficulty, save from a pitfall. Uh, it's the same word, but it's used in that context. You're going to save yourself from being stumbled and stumbling others by hanging on to a sound doctrine life 
and into the sound doctrine in your teaching. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, there in verse 14. But you must, notice the word there, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of them, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. This word here, child, is actually the word brephos in the Greek, which is for infant, little toddler. So it's not talking about a you know eight-year-old or a twelve-year-old. He's saying you, as an infant, started learning the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. Again, not to be born again, but salvation from difficulties and pitfalls and the hardships you can fall in in your teenage years, in your twenties, in your thirties, in your forties, in your fifties. Hang on to that sound teaching. It'll be a security. It'll be a help to you through the ages through faith which is in Christ Jesus. In verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every line, every period, every comma is the inspired Word of God. And it's profitable for what? Doctrine. For teaching of God's Word. Show me in the Scriptures. Well, I've got this great teaching. Show me in the Bible. Where does it say it in the Bible? For reproof. For correction for instruction in righteousness. Notice two of the things there are to rebuke people. Why do you have the sound doctrine? To rebuke people. And to keep that instruction for yourself and for others in the way of righteousness. And in this, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. When churches, denominations, stop having a high view of the inspiration of God's Word. They start saying, yep, yep, the Bible's good stuff, but you need psychology. Yeah, the, yeah, the Bible's good stuff, but you also need to read, you know, the philosophies of Aristotle and Socrates. and The Bible's good stuff, but... And then the time you get into the system... Man, you got to go to another three, four years of seminary because you need to learn all the teachings of Socrates. You need to know everything that Aristotle has said. You need to know what all the different psychology is because how are you going to be a good pastor if you, you know, don't have almost your master's in counseling or psychological teaching? And so they're telling people underliningly you're not qualified for the ministry until you know all this other stuff. And here's Timothy. He grabbed him as a young boy. And he was a follower with Paul. And that was his whole training, listening to Paul preach, listening to Paul teach, and that's it. And now here's Titus in this great college town, this town of Ephesus with all the intellectuals. And he says, you know what? Just go back to the things your mom told you when you were a baby. Go back to that kindergarten class. Tell them the same story you learned in first grade. In that first grade Sunday school class, tell them the same story. You will see the power of God. Because it's not just data like you read in the newspaper. It's God-breathed. And as you speak it, God will breathe it out to them. And it's there, all the counseling you need for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The Word of God is what they need. 
That's the answer. And that is what's going to make you thoroughly equipped, prepared for every situation that comes up, Timothy, for every situation that comes up, Titus, being solid and sound doctrine. That is how you're going to build the church. That's how you're going to lead people in the church. And you are thoroughly equipped if you know all the Scriptures. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word here tonight. And we do ask, God, that as we have the our own fables in our country called evolution and the beliefs on abortion and the beliefs on homosexuality and all these other crazy teachings that are not unto sound doctrine. That we would know the Scripture and say, how can that be true if God called John the Baptist, filled him with the Spirit, why in his mother's womb? How can that be true if Jeremiah was called to be a prophet while he was in the womb? How can that be true if God says that homosexuality is an abomination? We would just quote the Scripture, say what the Bible says, and if it's foolishness to them, it's because they're unbelieving and their foolish hearts can't hear wisdom. But that we wouldn't be swayed saying we need to have the degrees or have the information that the world has to be adequate in ministering to the difficult, often deep problems of your people. Lord, we come before you. And we know you made our mind, you made our emotion, you made us physically. You have the answers and we come to you and trust that you would heal us. And Lord, we're in a society that's swayed, sort of like the Cretans, there are often liars and thieves and abominable. No doubt many tens of thousands of people within a rock throw of where we're at right now are watching abominable pornography on their TV sets or on their internet. They're watching shows that elevate homosexuality and, and support abortion and, and they cheer on fornication and adultery and wickedness. Lord, we know that if they know what we know, if they would grow in the way we have grown, that they would know the truth and they'd be set free. And God, we're going out into the world. You said be in the world, not have it. As we're going out, we need that power of your spirit. We need that insight. We need that ability to hear your voice as you waken us morning by morning. And so, Lord, we believe that you hear us when we pray. We believe that you are and a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And so, Lord, as we come in your name here tonight, we ask that you would give us that spirit of prayer and supplication, that you would put that mantle upon us, that heart of supplication, that we would intensely strive together in prayer with one another, that doors would be open that have been shut, and that doors would be shut that have been opened that we would pull down the strongholds of Satan as we come into that spiritual realm with our powerful spiritual weapons. And we do ask your kingdom to come and your will to be done in our midst as we seek your face this night. In Jesus' name.